today we get to start the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is all about waiting, waiting for the Messiah. And today we're going to start a sermon series called Unwrapping Peace, because we believe that God is providing peace for us, whether we're accessing it this morning or not, and whether we're leaning on that or not. We know that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Have you ever had a night where you were trying to sleep and you were just uncomfortable? Maybe uh, you have a health issue that causes a good deal of pain. I'm sure there's many of you that struggle with those type of things. My situation is not as serious as that, but I do have a lot of pain in my uh, neck muscles if I don't stretch them the right way every day, the trapezius. Yeah. Everybody impressed that I looked that up? Uh, not long ago, I went to bed pretty early for me, about 10.30, and my neck had been hurting all day, and I had a headache, so I piled all my pillows a certain way uh, that normally helps. I put one between my knees and one under my side and one under my arm. I've got like a million pillows. And uh, that didn't work. I, I rolled over, and now it's 11.30. Well, so I tried something out. I tried no pillows. I tried sleeping on my stomach, sleeping on my back, and it's still nothing worked. And the next time I roll over, it's 2.30. And I had to wake up at, to take my kids to school at 6.20. And I only had a little bit of time of sleep left. How many of y'all had a situation like that before, right? We probably all have gone through sleepless and unrestful nights. That particularly night, uh, night was a night of unrest. And it took a toll on me. It wore me out. And there are many of us that maybe struggle with that type of physical pain, much, much more serious than what I'm talking about. And there, there's unrest. Or maybe it's relational pain that you are struggling with, with tension with parents or tension with your spouse or with a child or with a friend. And maybe you also have a pain in the neck, but that pain in the neck has a first name, right? <laughs> maybe it's financial pain or the pain of regret, or the pain of grief. The world is a place of unrest, and it isn't new. Humanity has struggled to claw its way out of dark huts into the suburbs with air conditioning and DoorDash. And although we might not struggle as much on the outside, there still is struggle on the inside. It's always there. Struggle is a part of life. It will never go away. The end. Merry Christmas. <laughs> now, God didn't create a world of unrest and of sleepless nights. God created the light and in the water and the land and the plant life and the sun and the moon and the stars and the sea creatures and birds and mammals. And it was all good. He created humans in his own image, and it was good. And the first thing that God looks at and says isn't good is not sin, but rather to be alone. So he makes man and woman and each bringing their own uh, gifts and talents to the table. 
both important. And he gave them a job to work the garden, and it was good. And the garden was beautiful with rivers and trees and animals and enough food, and God walked with them and fellowshiped with them, and he was very present with them. And it was good. God gave them one command, right? Not to eat of the tree. And this tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it, gave, it would give them all the knowledge of all the evil things that could happen in this world. Innocence would be broken like a child having to grow up too fast. But God didn't want that for them. He wanted them instead to choose daily to trust him and to love him and obey him freely out of their own will. They disobeyed God, and they broke fellowship with him, and they were evicted from the garden, and they ushered sin into this world. And the consequences of this disobedience was pain and nakedness and struggle and sweat and guilt. Things changed after the fall, and now unrest characterizes this world. Man's relationship with God changed. And since then, people have many thoughts about who God is and confused with many ideas about what he does. That God is far away or God is unconcerned with our problems or even that God maybe is just this force that's in everything. See, God doesn't physically walk side by side with us anymore. We're not walking through the garden, so how does God relate to us? N.T. Wright states that there are three basic ways that God, uh, to think about how God relates with us and how God's space relates to our space. Three different ideas. First, you can believe that God's space and our space are the same. And essentially that God is everything and God is in everything. And that God is everywhere and he is in everywhere. And that leads to pantheism though. And early Christians were tempted to believe this because of its similarity to the Greek and Roman cultures that they lived in when they Worship the sea and the sun and the moon and the stars. And it was to believe that everything has a spark of divinity in it. And therefore you worship everything as sun and moon and stars as God. But you also then have to worship wasps and mosquitoes and hurricanes. And that gets pretty difficult. And in that line of thinking, God is in all, even the things that are evil. So first you have that, that God's space and our space are the same. Secondly, you can believe that God's space and our space are firmly held apart. That there is no communion between those things now. That God exists, but God is far away. And don't bother appealing to God. He's busy. He isn't listening. He's in the distance. And he may have started all this, but now we're on our own. 
There are many people that believe this today. They're called deists. This is a person that says that they believe in God, but none of their actions or attitudes back that up because they believe that God is far away and unconcerned. And many Americans, when they talk about God and heaven, they assume it's a far away place that has little to do with them today. So thirdly, we can believe along with the ancient Christians and Jews, that heaven and earth are not separated by a great gulf, but instead they overlap and interlock in a number of different ways. That's the the three different ways to uh, look at God's space and our space, that they are the same, and that God is everything and he is in everything. Or we can believe that God's space and our space are far apart and he is unconcerned. Or we can believe with the ancient Jews and Christians that God's space and our space interlock in a number of different ways. And we see this in the Old Testament as it talks about God making his presence known and seen and heard here on this earth. Abraham keeps meeting God and Jacob sees a ladder between heaven and earth with angels going to and fro. And Moses discovers the burning bush and God speaks to him through that and he realizes that he is on holy ground. In other words, heaven meets earth and it interlocks, intersects. And Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt with the help of signs and plagues. And they're led by a pillar of cloud by day and a a pillar of fire by night. And God uh, meets with Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments. And then God physically gives them a place to meet at. It's called the tabernacle, which means the place of meeting. And it's literally a place where heaven and earth intersect And they meet, but it wasn't permanent. And then David made Jerusalem his capital, and he starts to plan a permanent house of God. And Solomon comes after him and is able to build that house on Mount Zion, the place where God's presence dwelt. Psalms 132.13 says it this way, For the Lord has chosen Zion, and he has desired it for his dwelling." This is my resting place forever. Here I dwell, for I have desired it. And people from all over the world traveled to worship God at that temple. And God wanted that to be a permanent meeting place. But there was a covenant that the people of Israel had to uphold. There was promises that they had to keep. But it was a place where heaven met earth. But then the people of Israel turned their back on God, and they were taken into captivity, and the temple was uh, destroyed. And there was hopelessness and desperation and sadness for hundreds of years. God finally allows the people to come back to Jerusalem, and the temple was rebuilt, but the people still disobeyed God. And then there was 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
And that's where we see in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where John the Baptist comes on the scene and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Someone is coming. And then we get to see the hero born of a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus, the Messiah, is here. And all of the sudden, he changes everything. And now you don't have to go to a place where heaven meets earth. No, instead, heaven came to you. And he healed people and he raised them from the dead and he walked on water and he fed the 5,000. And these things were heavenly things being done on earth. And Jesus taught radical ideas as well, like that we should love our enemies and forgive the unforgivable and turn the other cheek. These were heavenly ideas on earth. But then he went to the cross, and he was beaten, and he was mocked, and he was scourged, and he was spit on. The innocent son of God's heart stopped. And he was wrapped in grave clothes. And he was buried. But then the stone rolled away and he rose from the dead. And he was seen of hundreds of people, hundreds of witnesses for 40 days. But then he ascended to heaven. He left. What now? How are we supposed to communicate with God now? Heaven left earth? What do we do? How do we connect with God? We don't have a temple and the Messiah no longer walks among us. Well, Jesus prepared his disciples for this long before he left. And he told them what they should do in John 16, 7. He says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says he will not leave us alone. God wouldn't leave us alone. He would send a helper, a comforter, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And he actually said that you would be better off with the Holy Spirit than if he were to walk beside you. He said you'd be better off with the Holy Spirit inside you and if he were standing beside you, it's to your advantage. See, Jesus was God with us, but the Holy Spirit is God in us. And now you are the place where heaven and earth meet. You are the place where heaven intersects with this world. We don't have to go to a place. We don't have to... Uh, go to Jerusalem and, and to go to a temple. We don't have to follow Jesus around while he's on this earth. If you are a believer, then God dwells in you. Second, uh, 2 Timothy 1.13 tells us to follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells 
within you. Guard the good deposit that is entrusted into you. He is saying, uh, Paul is saying to Timothy in these verses that Jesus has left us. God has left us his Holy Spirit and it is something that is inside you. And we need to make sure that we are cultivating that communion with God in us and listening to him and spending time with him and allowing ourselves not to have any distraction or sin between us and God. Ephesians 3 16, Paul tells the people in Ephesus that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Jesus Christ. Paul is telling this church that is under persecution and living in a world of unrest that you have something in you, that Christ did not leave you. He sent you the comforter so that you might have peace in this world of unrest. We we can know God through this communion with the Holy Spirit. And we can know the height and the depth and the width of the love of God. That God has for us. You are now the place where heaven and earth meets. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You've probably heard that verse if you've been in church for a while. uh, Or even maybe not. But that people talk about how their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And they think that that means that they need to clean up the outside, right? They need to lose a little weight or they need to stop smoking or, you know, those type of things, which, which all that's great and exercise is good. But that's not what it's talking about. It is saying that you are the place where heaven and earth meet. You are the place where God's will and his motives and his purpose intersect with this world. We need to live that way and to treat ourselves that way as we go out into the world realizing that people can come to know God through us, not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit that is in us. You are the temple. And he wants to change you, and he wants to develop you, and he wants to commune with you. 1 Peter 2.5 says that you also, as living stones, Peter's talking to the church here, he says you are like bricks, you are like stones that are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are are the temple. We are representations. Just like you would drive through the middle of Clarksburg and you can tell by how a building looks that it was a church or is a church. Maybe it's a steeple or maybe it's a cross. As we go out, not with physical attributes, but with the love and the joy and the peace and the long-suffering, the way that we carry ourselves, people ought to be able to tell that we are a place of worship 
in our attitudes, in our actions, in the way that we speak to each other. Heavenly things done on this earth through us because of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. See, the unrest that started at the fall of man is restored. What was broken in Eden is fixed through Jesus Christ. And this is why we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let heaven and nature sing. Those places intersecting as we worship God through our lives and through our words and through our actions. Heaven and nature singing. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He came to take your burdens. He came to give you Rest. He came to be a place of fellowship and communion that you might know that you are not alone and that you might have peace that passes all understanding. You won't find that in more money in your paycheck. You won't find that with popularity or fame. You won't find that with earthly power. There is one place, there is one prince of peace. So when you look at your Christmas tree this year, we see uh, the stage covered in them. When we look at the tree, remember the tree that started all this. That disobedience flooded into the world through that tree where man chose our way over God's way. And you can have that kind of Christmas this year if you want to. God gives you that freedom to be self-centered and to be narcissistic and to be a house of worship to yourself rather than a house of worship to God. But you can also look to another tree, that tree on Calvary that wasn't hung with ornaments and lights, but a Messiah that was broken and battered beaten for you, he hung on that tree. And when you look at your Christmas tree this year, you can look at the cross and look at how God came to meet with you and to, for you to be a place where heaven and earth meet. Nothing between us and God. Mercy and grace and forgiveness and rest through that tree flooded into this world. All sorrow and sin erased. Romans 5.1 tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also have attained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There is nothing between you and God today. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a pastor. You have complete access to God through the Holy Spirit because of the cross. And God wants to commune with you and to give you that peace in this world of unrest. Imagine with me, you're on a sailboat. There's something nerve-wracking about large bodies of water. 
I guess I grew up watching movies like Jaws, and uh, there was one about an alligator in a swimming pool. I don't even know that I watched the whole movie, but it's haunted me ever since. I don't like to swim in, a, in the dark, you know, because there's always an alligator in there. But large bodies of water are unsettling. We're not meant to live on the water. And imagine you're on a boat, a small boat in a large body of water as the tempest goes and the storm crashes over your ship as it's a dark and stormy night and the waves are crashing against your vessel and the wind is howling and you can't see what's ahead and you're holding on for dear life. And you're gripped by fear and anxiety and stress as you struggle to find a way and to navigate through the chaos. In that moment, you feel the unrest that many people experience in this life. And the stormy sea symbolizes the challenges and uncertainties and difficulties that we all face. It's a vivid image of turmoil that can engulf our hearts and minds. But consider a different scenario where instead of just darkness and chaos and wind and rain, instead in the midst of this tempest, a lighthouse suddenly appears in the distance, far on your horizon. And its beam of light cutting through the darkness That light represents Jesus in our lives, in this world of unrest that we live in, the Prince of Peace. And as we fix our eyes on that gaze and you find guidance and reassurance and hope, even as the storm rages on, you know that you're not alone and that you're on the path to safety. This beautifully Uh, pictures for us the unrest in this world that we encounter and how Jesus, like a lighthouse, can lead us to peace and safety even in the midst of unrest and the storm. And that is as you look out on this world and you see the crazy things that are happening Remember that this is what people are going through. They're clawing and they're searching and they're struggling to find some hope in the darkness that they don't have. And you can sit back and you can judge them about their actions, but they're looking for hope. And they're looking for that peace that's available to us only through Jesus Christ. The peace provided by a lighthouse on a stormy night, is what God wants to extend to you today through Jesus Christ. A place where heaven meets earth, where God walks with us and communes with us. That unrest of of tossing and turning and the pain and struggle and the loneliness and the brokenness, God wants to heal that in you. What was lost in Eden, restored, heaven came to us. And that's what this Christmas season is about. All the way back in Genesis 3, way back at the beginning, God promised 
after the fall, that through a descendant of Eve, that God would send a Savior to crush Satan's head and sin once and for all. And that started with the first advent on the cross and with the resurrection, and it will be completed once and for all in the next advent when Jesus comes again and makes all things new. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. This peace is a wonderful gift that God invites you to unwrap this Christmas season and to live in it all year round. It's not about making Christmas better than it was last year. It's not about getting the perfect gift. It's not about your house decorations looking better than your neighbor's decorations. It's not about the parties. It's not about the uh, awkward dinners where you just fought with somebody. It's not about all of that. It's about Jesus, the Messiah, God with us, coming to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. But then he left and he sent the Holy Spirit to be God in us. And you have that access if you are a believer and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and you put your faith on what he did on the cross. That peace is available to you today in the midst of the most uh, difficult cir circumstances. I can't explain it to you. You could come and sit with me and say, Pastor Phil, I don't know why this is happening to me. And I will agree with you. I don't know why pain and struggle happens. But I know that you're not alone. And I know that God wants to give you that peace that passes all understanding. It might not happen in our timing, but God wants to be with you in the storm. And until then, you have that guiding light of the lighthouse, a place to point towards, a place that you can go and continually cry out to God. Even if you're mad at him, keep coming. Even if you have doubts, keep coming because he wants to give you that peace. With every head's bowed and eyes closed. The Richmonds will come and play. In a room this big with this many people, there's no doubt that there is heartbreak and there is grief. Probably someone that's lost a loved one that this Christmas season is particularly hard for you. Maybe you recently got a bad diagnosis or your finances aren't making it. They're not cutting it. And you're feeling anything but peace. This Christmas season. God wants to step into your situation. And yes, he may answer that prayer, and I pray that he does. But regardless, he wants to sit with you in the pain. Regardless, he wants to be near for you. He wants to commune with you. And as we go out into this dark world of chaos and war and pain and disease and hurt, he wants us to be a place 
where people meet Jesus. A temple, a building built as a spiritual house to worship God and to point towards a Savior. Because we are the place where heaven meets earth. And we're not perfect. We're sinners. We make mistakes. We are not divine. But God has chosen to dwell in us anyway. Maybe there's something between you and God and you need to to get that settled this morning. Maybe you've stopped praying because you're angry at him or you're, you're filled with doubt. Maybe you've given up on a situation and God doesn't want you to give up. The Bible tells us to ask and seek and knock. Keep bringing your things to him. But regardless, there is hope in the storm. There is light in the darkness. Even in the valley, God is good. As we continue in an attitude of prayer and and we begin to pray that God would make this a Christmas season filled not with hustle and bustle and stress and anxiety, but rather a Christmas season characterized by peace. Calm on the inside, even as things are chaotic on the outside. God, I pray you provide peace for every soul in this room. I pray you bring a calm and a uh, amount of rest to that person today that is weary, that maybe is even thinking of giving up, maybe giving up on a relationship or giving up on what you have for them, a purpose, or even maybe giving up on life. God, I pray you bring a special peace and uh, your presence into their situation. God, help them to see you even in the midst of the darkness. As we continue to pray, I want to talk to just maybe a few people in the room. Maybe you don't yet know that you are a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not sure yet that you are a child of God. Well, God made you and he created you and he made you in his image. But he gave us a free will and that free will we've chosen to use for sin and selfishness and evil and wickedness. And we've, we've created a space between us and a holy and a perfect God. But Jesus bridged that gap. God came to us, Emmanuel. And he walked this earth after being born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And he walked and he taught and people followed him and he did miraculous heavenly things on this earth. And then an innocent person laid down his life for all of us guilty people. That's the gospel. That's what Christmas is really about. Because Jesus didn't stay a baby. He became a man that hung on a tree and died and then rose again from the grave. The Bible calls us to put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. It tells us that God commended his love towards us and that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus died in your place. You don't have to suffer the punishment in a place called hell, a separation from God forever. You don't have to suffer that. You don't have to be alone in this life. God made a way for you to get to him through Jesus Christ. You can put all your faith and trust in him today as the only means of your salvation, not good works or church membership or giving money or any of those type of things, but putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you. You can call out to him with something like this right now. It's not a magic prayer. You change it, personalize it. What matters is that you're genuine in your heart. You can call out and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve help. God, forgive me. I'm turning from all of my sin. I'm turning to you. Put my faith in what you did on the cross to save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you today and you made that choice once and for all, that's amazing. The best gift you could ever have during this Christmas season is to become a child of God, a follower of Jesus. If you called out to God and you meant that, you're not playing games with God, and you put your faith in Him today, I want to encourage you to write that on your connection card. I choose Jesus. Before you, uh, after you write that, to put that in one of these uh, offering boxes here in the middle of the sanctuary, these black boxes, because we'd love to follow up with the most amazing decision that you could ever make. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the peace that is found in only you. God, I pray this Christmas season that we would spend time in communion with you. Help us not to look past what it is really about, a time to recenter ourselves and remember what you did for us. God, we love you. In your name we pray.